Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Everyone's going to need to bear with me today. I've had a really rough day. Oh. And... Um, Maybe I'll cut that out. I don't know. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll leave it in. Um, I did two hot yogas today, so I'm also... <laughs> wow, Desi. You're just like a lot more zen than I am today, I'm very though. fitness Yeah, oriented. and you're very fitness uh-huh. goals. I went to the gym. I had like a very angry workout. That's good. It wasn't a relief, though. Like I'm, oh. I'm like having anxiety tonight. This you need is to punch so- a bag or I something. Need to- <laughs> I'm going to do that when you leave. I'm going to punch all my pillows. Yeah. I like punching things. Yeah. If they're soft. The la- I used to be really into boxing, but the last time I did boxing, my nail broke off. Oh, well, that's done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's start out the show by thanking our lovely patrons from this past week. They donated over at patreon.com. This week we had Megan, Clay, Amy, Weefs, Kimberly. Oh, I definitely wanted to give an extra shout out to Kimberly because she commented on one of our Patreon posts that she's also DTF Buster Posey. Oh. That's from like an old show we did. Okay. Where we talked about our baseball, all the the baseball players we wanted to fuck. Okay. Yeah. So he is DTF. Solidarity with you, Kimberly. That's really, thank you for sharing that with me. And she also left a bunch of other really nice messages. So just wanted to give her a shout out. Also, we had Anna, Laura, Stephanie, Susan, Muffy, Devin, Celeste, Kara, Ashley, and Yen. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This is a case I've long been interested in, and when I was looking for things to do this month, I was happy to see that there was a crime movie, or a horror movie, I'm sorry, that used the crime as inspiration, and the the crime I'm talking about is the Caddy Cabin Murders. Um, this is a horribly gruesome quadruple murder that happened in 1981. The movie The Strangers is loosely inspired by that crime in addition to the Manson murders and some home invasions that happened in the writer-director Ben Bertino's neighborhood when he was growing up. Uh, so just kind of like loosely, but whatever, I'm going to fucking use it. <laughs> this month. <laughs> so The Strangers is a night I'm sorry. The Strangers is a 2008 movie starring Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman, Team Ben Covington forever. That's a shout out oh. to all my Felicity. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You what? of all people were into Felicity? Look, I I didn't look, I didn't watch Felicity when it was on. I watched it years later. I binge watched all like whatever, four seasons is it? Right. I'm just surprised. It was way after the fact when I was like in a binging and I kind of love soap operas though. Right. And it's a good show. Did you watch Felicity? I never did, but you know what show that I did watch, which you wouldn't expect that is a show I would be really into, but it was the show called Everwood. Oh, right. I almost watched Everwood. Dude, you gotta watch Everwood. It's so good. You gotta watch it. I love soap opera type shows. No, it is a soap opera in a Um, small town. It's great. No, I... No one is more surprised than me that I liked Felicity, but I started watching it some for some reason. It was probably available. Yeah. I was like, oh, let me check out Felicity. And then I was like right. deeply invested, <laughs> invested in, in these in characters. characters. So, okay, yeah. so you're Scott Speedman forever. Uh, hell yeah. Like, I don't even know how you're not. Like, that's how. Right. <laughs> okay. So anyway, that has nothing to do with the story we're talking about today. And, you, and you've seen... <laughs> okay, so let's talk about The Strangers. You've seen The Strangers. I haven't seen it. <gasps> I didn't get to see it. Is Which, it good? Yeah, it's really good. We can talk about it at the end of okay, it. Okay, we'll talk about um, it. Okay, so let's get started on the story. So in the fall of 1980, a 36-year-old named Glenna Sharp, who went as Sue, separated from her husband, Johnny, and moved from Connecticut to Northern California along with her five children, 15-year-old John, 14-year-old Sheila, 12-year-old Tina, and two younger sons, Rick, who was 10, and Greg, age five. So 
she's basically starting a, a new life and chose to to live in Northern California because that's where her brother Don lived. So she kind of had a little support system going on there. Um, when she arrived in California, she began renting cabin 28 at the Keddy Resort in a rural Sierra Nevada community of Keddy. Now, the kids quickly made friends with all the other kids living in this resort. So Keddy is a small town, like really fucking small. Like the last census they did, it had 66 people living in it. Wow. In the town. Like it is tiny. So basically, Kenny used to be a resort town. It's in the foothills of the Sierras, kind of just north of Lake Tahoe and Reno. But by the time Sue moved there in 1981 or 1980, actually, it was definitely not that anymore. So the owner started renting out these resort cabins as low-income housing to people who were whatever. Like I don't even know who would live there because there was literally nothing in Caddy, right. basically. Uh, there was like a, a town outside of Caddy, like five miles, but I'm sure that's pretty small too. So they probably have like a general store. They have like a general store, but it's like one of those kind of camping cabin type places that right. got turned into um, low-income housing, basically. So, you know... It's an area that is very isolated. It's one of those areas that people are like, it's perfectly safe for kids to run around. You can leave your doors unlocked, all of that kind of stuff, which I will never do. I will never leave my door unlocked. I don't get people who are proud of that. I tweeted about it because I was researching this case the other day. But it's like, that's such an insane thing to me. Just lock your door. Because I've read too many things where the serial killer is like, I just walk around and go into the first house that's unlocked, right? Like, I mean, but that's the, that is the entire premise of The Strangers is it's like... Like, That's what they're doing. This home, well, it's just like this home invasion where it's like at this the, this couple they go they're in this like idyllic little cabin, right? Thinking they're perfectly safe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's my nightmare. Totally. I don't even know if I can watch The Strangers. Um, okay, so on April eleventh, nineteen eighty one, around one thirty p.m., Sue and Sheila, who is her oldest daughter, drove from Keddie to pick up her son John and his friend Dana Wingate, who was a boy, by the way, from Quincy, California, which was the town I was talking about. That's about five to seven miles away from Keddie. And they bring them back to Keddie. Two hours later, around 3.30 p.m., John and Dana hitchhike back to Quincy because they had plans to meet a friend. So they're basically hitchhiking around. <laughs> like, it's such a hitchhiking era at that point still. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're basically going back and forth in, in between Keddie and this town Quincy. Eventually, they will end up back at the cabin, cabin 28, that night. Uh, Dana had plans to sleep over. Uh, Sheila also had plans that night to sleep over. Uh, over at a C- the Seabolt family's house who lived in cabin 27. And the younger boys, Rick and Greg, were having their friend Justin Easton sleep over, and he was another cabin kid. So they're just like all sleeping over each other's house. It's like a party time. Why not? <laughs> yeah. So Sheila leaves for her sleepover around 8 p.m. that night. Her younger sister, Tina, who had been watching television at the Seabolts, goes back home when, when Sheila kind of comes over. They kind of switch places. Um, and she returns to the cabin around 9.30 p.m. that night. Around 7 a.m. the morning of April 12th, Sheila returns home and makes a gruesome discovery. When she walks into cabin 28, she sees the bodies of Sue, John, and Dana in the cabin's living room. They had all been brutally murdered. She obviously screams and runs immediately back to cabin 27, informing the Seabolts what she had just walked into. James Seabolt, who is the dad of that family, went into the cabin and amazingly discovered that the three younger boys were all untouched in their bedroom. They removed the three boys through the bedroom window so they didn't have to walk through the gruesome murder scene, obviously. 12-year-old Tina was nowhere to be found. So the police uh, are called, obviously. They come in and they begin to investigate the scene that had already been compromised because that guy walked through the scene right. to see what had happened um, and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, he wasn't thinking, but um, each victim had been bound with several feet of medical tape and electrical um, appliance wires that had been cut. They also had uh, extension cords used to tie them up. Some people had theorized that... Um, Due to the fact that they were in this isolated location, it was very common to have a lot of medical supplies as well as extension cords and stuff like that because you didn't have a lot of services that were very near you. So you might have a really extensive uh, first aid kit or something like that. Uh, The murderers, I'm sorry, the murders were particularly gory, as I mentioned before. 
Sue's Sharp's body was found under a yellow blanket. Uh, She was wearing a robe and her underwear had been removed and found stuffed in her mouth along with a bandana. Medical tape was wrapped around her mouth to keep the stuff in, as well as an extension cord was also wrapped around her mouth. Uh, that was also tied to her legs and ankles, so she was really bound up. Now, both Sue and John, her son, had been beaten with a claw hammer and stabbed multiple times in their body and their throat. They were so brutally beaten that it couldn't even be determined whether they died from the blunt force trauma or the stab wounds. Dana Wingate was also beaten, but with a different hammer. He was the only one who was strangled, but once again, the medical examiner was unable to determine if he died from the strangulation or from the blunt force trauma. This is like the definition of overkill, by the way, all of these murders. Uh, The living room was covered in blood. There's smears everywhere. Um, The living room floor had blood soaked on it. There's a lot of crime scene photos online if you want to look them up, but they're pretty bad. Um, Drops of blood were also found on Tina's bed. Other evidence found included a bloody footprint that was in the yard and knife marks that were sort of slashed into the wall of the home. The uh, investigators were basically, though, left stumped as to why anyone would attack this young family in such a brutal fashion. And how old were these children that were killed? Uh, Dana and John were 15, around that age. And the mom is 36. Now Tina is 12 and she's missing, and she's at, this missing point, at this point and the boys are all safe. The youngest. Uh, the younger boys. The people investigating this is the Plumas County Sheriff's Office. So from the start, as I mentioned, the scene was kind of compromised and the police don't do much better job at this point. They pretty much bungle a ton of things and I'll get more into it later. As I mentioned, the the... The crime scene was never secured even once the police came. Like people are just walking in and out. No one knows what's going on. I mean, they probably have never dealt with a crime like this. Um, Another baffling detail is that the police took forever to put in an APP for Tina, even though one of the young boys, Justin, told them that Tina had been in the home that night and was missing. They basically just ignored him until he like told his mom and then she convinced them. So at that point they were like, oh yeah, let's look for this girl who could still be alive. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, and it's an insane thing that happened. Um, At that point they really were like, oh, well, why did they take Tina? Maybe she's the motivation behind what happened and she's been kidnapped to be whatever, raped or something worse. So that makes it even more insane that they weren't trying to find her like literally immediately. Now, for such a gruesome murder in such a tight little community, like that literally like the cabins are very close to each other, it's pretty surprising that nobody heard anything that night. Like there was like, or there, there's one person, but the next door neighbors, the Seabolts, where the daughter Sheila was staying over, they said that they heard no commotion during the night. Uh, there was a report um, by one couple, a woman and her boyfriend, who were in an adjacent cabin, were woken up around 1.30 a.m. by what they described as muffled screams. The sound was... Um, so like disturbing to them that they actually got up and looked around and then they determined that nothing was happening and they didn't hear them anymore. So they went back to bed, but that made the cops kind of question like, well, why didn't the boys hear anything? If there were screams that someone outside heard that didn't wake up the three boys inside the house. So that didn't really like line up either. It's just like one thing after the other is like perplexing, like why the killers would choose to do this first of all obviously there's boys in the house they don't do anything to the boys who are potentially witnesses like did they not know they were there did they not even look throughout the house like was this a two-story house or it's a yeah there's like a lower level that they call the basement for some reason so I think that the main entryway is the second floor, oh, and then oh, they okay. refer to the sec- the first floor as the basement. So were the boys of. on a different floor, and they just didn't look around there? Uh, it's a small cabin, too. It is not big. I mean, it's yeah. very odd that no one woke up from that. Yes. So it's just a bizarre crime. Right. The cabin uh, did not show any indication that it was a forced entry. And detectives were able to recover an unidentified fingerprint on the handrail that led to the cabin's back door. They also discovered that the telephone had been left off the hook, the lights had been shut off, and the drapes were fully closed. So they did do some kind of like 
prepping to make sure no one could see in. Some of the weapons they found were a table knife, a butcher knife. One of the knives was used with such force that it actually had bent completely over. Oh my God. Um, They found one bloody hammer um, and they also found another knife in a trash bin behind the Ketty General Store. As you mentioned before, there was like a little general store, um, which they kind of always have at those campsites. So it just had that, yeah. Uh, Investigators obviously began questioning anyone and everyone in this small community. And it's probably very easy to do when there's not that many people. Um, One of their biggest initial witnesses is this kid, Justin Eason, who went from saying he didn't hear anything to kind of saying a little bit more. So I'm going to get into that right now. Now, Justin, as I mentioned, was one of the boys in that back bedroom uh, with the other two kids who were Sue's sons. He had initially told the investigators that he was asleep during the murders and um, the other two boys were and none of them had heard anything. Now, in a later interview, after he gets put under hypnosis, he describes in detail a dream that he had. This dream, he says that he's on a boat and he sees John Sharp and Dana fighting with a man who had long black hair, a mustache, and black glasses, and that man was carrying a hammer. The man, uh, according to Justin, the man threw John overboard and then Dana, who he said was drunk. Um, He then describes seeing a body that was covered in a sheet, and he looked under the sheet and saw that it was Sue who had a knife cut in her chest. He tries helping her patch the wound with a rag, and he ends up throwing the rag into the water. Now, Sue did have a huge knife wound in her chest, so that sort of piqued the cop's interest. Like, is this really what happened? Did he see this? Is it a dream? Like, no one could tell. He's like a young kid. Wow. Yeah. How old is this kid again? I could never find his age, but the boys he was friends with were 5 and 10, and I think he's probably about 10 as well. They continue to interview him, including putting him under a polygraph. And that was where uh, he said that he thought he did see the murders. So he's kind of changing his story. But like I said, he's a fucking kid who just saw something really traumatic, probably. Right. Uh, He said, this time he said that a noise woke him up and that he got up and looked through the door into the living room. He said that he saw Sue laying on the sofa and that there were two men standing in the middle of the room. He described the men once again, one with black hair and dark glasses, the other with brown hair wearing army boots. He said that John Sharp and Dana came into the room and began arguing with the two men. A fight broke out and Dana tried to escape through the kitchen. The man with the brown hair hit him with a hammer. He said John was being attacked by the other man with black hair and Sue was trying to help John and that's when she got stabbed. Justin said that at this point he hides behind the door. He sees the men tying up John and Dana. He claims that he saw Tina come into the living room holding a blanket and asking what was happening. The two men then grab her and took her out the back door, and she's obviously screaming and crying for help. He said the man with the black hair used a pocket knife to cut Sue in the middle of her chest. Um, Justin then worked with a sketch artist and they created a composite sketch of two of the, the two men that he's that talking he about. Says, yeah, yeah. We should post that picture because it's a, I don't want to say funny, but it's a very weird composite sketch. And really? I, I can only imagine it's because a kid was doing it. Like, I don't know. I've never seen a co- composite sketch. It kind of reminded me of the leprechaun. I was sketch. just that's what I was picturing. <laughs> like, I don't know. Hold there's on. like, I'm obsessed with the leprechaun sketch. Okay, well, maybe we'll post that too if you don't know what I'm talking about. But when I saw it, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> like, I don't know why it just made me laugh because it didn't look like real people, Hold even on. though it's kind of fine. I, I have no idea. <laughs> Are you looking at it right now? Dude, it looks like a, a Ned Flanders and <laughs> and the other guy in The Simpsons who's like the army vet guy. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. So we'll Wait. post it. <laughs> It's weird, I'm right? Sorry, it's weird. Okay, I mean, it's not the point. I'm glad that you also thought it was weird. Yeah, though. not that we're really good judges. Like, <laughs> I shouldn't feel better about you also thinking something is. Funny. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so police start interviewing more people, uh, including a man who had left the Ketty Resort shortly after the murders and moved to Oregon, but he passed a polygraph. Um, he did say at some point. In the past, he had seen a man he didn't know and Sue yelling at each other in the area where the cabins were. They were having a huge fight for 30 minutes, screaming obscenities at each other. And he, uh, you know, he, so he, that's what he brought up, but it led nowhere. I kind of get the feeling there's a lot of transients in and out of Ketty cabins. So the fact that he left 
wasn't really that un, un, um, unusual. The fact that who left? This guy they interviewed that they thought was a suspect because he had left a few days after the murders. So they were sort of suspicious of that. But I think like people were in and out of there all the time. It just seems like one of those places. Now, uh, detectives interviewed, you know, the people in the Ketty cabins. I think they went to the outer lying areas um, and they kept picking up more info here and there. Like the Seabolt family said that they saw a weird van one time, which I'm sure in in that area. I was going to say. Like there's lots of, it's all weird vans. It's the early 80s. That's peak weird van. This is very 80s too. Someone said they saw a brown Datsun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but the the 80s details are so funny to me. Like it's like, yeah, this is very period. Was there a Pinto also? Um, So, but none of those led anywhere because I'm sure there's lots of brown Dotsons too. <laughs> Come on. It's the peak brown car <laughs> period, right? Yeah, right. So rumors also start flying that because the um, killings had a ritualistic nature to them, just like the tying up and all of that stuff and the brutality, that perhaps it was a drug trafficking type thing gone wrong. The sheriff dismissed that because they said there was no drug paraphernalia or anything. There was no drugs in Sue's system. She didn't even drink, I think. Carla McMullen, who was an acquaintance of Sue's, later told detectives that Dana Wingate had recently stolen uh, LSD from a local drug dealer, but she was unable to provide proof of any of that. I mean, it's a lot of people coming forward with information that's all very 80s (laughs) and probably (laughs) meaningless and no proof of anything. They spent like 4,000 man man hours working on the case. And Thomas, uh, who was the lead uh, detective on this, described it as frustrating, obviously, they even like went so far as ruling out serial killers Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toll as potential, Toole? yeah, as potential sub- suspects. Yeah, but obviously that went nowhere. Another serial killer connection is some people theorize that it, although Charles Ng was in prison at the time, Leonard uh, Lake was out and he did not have his cabin with a torture uh, chamber in it yet, which was very close to Caddy, like just south right. of it. Um, but there, some people speculate like, oh, he was out figuring it out, his like plan for how to do things. And that, w- that was his first murder or whatever. Like there's no evidence of that, but it's like a conspiracy theory online. And obviously those things are fun to kind of talk about and look into. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. 
If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash H-C-S. The people that they interviewed as far as suspects went, one really stood out to them, and that was Justin Eason's stepfather, Martin Marty Smart. That's Stop his name. It. <laughs> Marty Smart with two T's. Wait a minute. His name was Martin Smart? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Marty Smart. I'm Marty Smart. Do you have a picture of this guy? I don't have one right now, but there are some online. Okay, good. And he looks... Look, I just look, know what he looks like. You know exactly I what know. he looks like. He has a mustache. I wish you guys- <laughs> it's a push broom mustache. It's a push broom mustache. He's a little too skinny. Yeah. <laughs> not Hair's not great. My hair's not great. Uh, yeah. He, we'll post pictures okay. of him because, yeah. He uh, quickly becomes a prime suspect in the crime. Now... Part of the reason is that is that he has a long history of violent crimes and is a real dirtbag. He, at some point when he was living in Arizona, he had tried to kill his brother. He also had tried to blow up his parents' home. But the reason that didn't happen is because he couldn't find explosives. So they kind of like, you know, that lucked out for them, I guess. What a dumbass. He uh, marries Marilyn at some point and... Quickly in their marriage, she realizes she's made a huge mistake <laughs> when she when he tries to run her and her kids <gasps> over with a car. Oh my god! I know he's a bad guy. Uh, he also sells hash. Like this is just like honestly, I cannot believe my mom didn't. Do this, guy. <laughs> this is like exactly her type. Uh, he's so seventies, early eighties. I can't stand it. <laughs> he also once threatened to break John Sharp's hands because he hated teens. Rachel. Uh, so he has a lot of anger issues. Yeah. Now, on the night of the murders, he had a friend that was sleeping on their sofa <laughs> named Severin John Bo Bobity. Wait, wait, wait. His last name is Bobity? Yeah. His name is Bo Bobity. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, the hits Bo-Body. just keep on coming. <laughs> so... He's staying in the uh, smarts. He's basically sleeping on their sofa. So come on. This, this scene is a mess. Uh, now, where did they meet, Rachel? You might be wondering. Sizzler. They, no. They both met at the VA hospital where they were getting treated for PTSD. I'm sorry. And Marty, that's not funny. That's- Marty had gone there because his wife, Marilyn, demanded that he seek treatment for his anger issues. So he was going to therapy and being treated for PTSD. As he should have been. Now, he claimed to suffer from PTSD as a result of his time fighting in Vietnam. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is just such a guy my mom would date. I'm literally losing my mind. Uh, now, some people dismiss his um, claims that he had PTSD because he was a cook in the army and wasn't actually in like combat, but I don't know. It sounds stressful if you're even there cooking, right? Like, yeah, I don't know, but that's, so I'm just mentioning it. Uh, but whatever he was being treated for it. So, or actually he, there was no, I, there was no evidence that he was being treated for it, but he was in a therapy, he was in a therapeutic relationship. Yeah. Um, so after he's released from the VA, he comes home <laughs> with his new friend, which is literally something every guy my mom would date would do. Like, They'd just com- bring some guy they picked up hitchhiking. Right. Here- like, hey, here's my new bud. Bo Bobity. <laughs> Bo Bobity. He's a good guy. <laughs> Let me have him around your kids. Um, <laughs> so... Not that there's anything wrong with PTSD. People Look, can be normal. I have it. Yeah. It's okay. A lot of people do. Yeah. So... Apparently, like shortly before the murders, someone hears uh, Marty Smart say uh, that he needed things to get straightened out or he might kill someone. Oh. So this guy has anger issues, as I've mentioned before, but I just want to clarify, he's fucking angry. (laughs) So the night of April 11th, um, when everyone's having the sleepovers, he, his wife, Marilyn and Boobaday decide to go to a local Ketty bar, which I'm guessing is only one, and it's called the Backdoor Bar. Hell yeah. <laughs> They're going there for a few drinks. Uh, I know exactly what this bar smells like. <laughs> I can picture it so clearly <laughs> because it's like barely different than a home. 
Yes. They have a they have the the keg thing, but it's like just wood. It's so much wood. Yeah, it's a lot of wood and some mismatched chairs. Like it's, it's literally yeah. Uh-huh. So he goes there. Um, he actually works there as a chef. They do have some food. Uh, that's his night off. So he's going to his job <laughs> to to party. On the way to the bar, the group stops at Sue Sharp's house and asks her if she wants to join them for drinks. She said no, obviously, because she's got a ton of kids at her house and whatever. She doesn't even drink. So at the bar, Marty Smart gets into a fight with the manager about the music that's playing. Oh, my God. So they leave in a fucking huff. And like another thing I read, I'm not going to get too much into it. They go on and on about like how pissed he was about this music. And I was like, what were they playing? I didn't know. I, was it like Bob Seger and you wanted any money? Like what the fuck is going on? It was definitely like a Kenny Loggins fight of some kind. Yeah. It was like some, I, would, I was like, I, uh, that's like the details no one ever focuses on that. I'm like, I need to know what music was playing and or, what he wanted. Or you're right. Somebody talked shit about Bob, Bob Seger and he right. lost it. He was fucking furious. He was so mad that they had to leave the And bar. he broke a p- pool cue. Yeah. <laughs> He broke their one chair. That was like one of those pleather ones with the black metal that that are never straight. Um, So, yeah, they leave. I'm sure Marilyn was like, get me the fuck out of here. I don't want to be with you in a bar yelling about Bob Seger. Um, They go back to the Smart's cabin. Marilyn watches some television and goes to bed. Smart, still mad about the music, calls the manager and complains again. Wow. <laughs> like, that's how mad He's he is. He's a male. I want to speak to the manager. Then he and Boobaday decide to go back to the bar for more drinks. Literally not a great call, in I, my I opinion. I was going to say, that's not a good idea. So, you know, hearing all of this and knowing this guy's background, at this point, the county sheriff contact the Justice uh, Department uh, in Sacramento, and they're like, we have the guy, right? Uh, So two DOJ investigators named Harry Bradley and P.A. Krim conduct interviews with Martin and Marilyn Smart and uh, Bo Boobaday. During the interview with Marilyn, she starts telling them a little information. She tells the investigators that she and Martin separated the day after the murders. <gasps> she says that uh, she basically said he has a bad temper, he's violent, he's angry, and I just had had enough of him. Uh, obviously, this makes him seem even more suspicious. Like, what the fuck happened there? Does she know something? After the interviews with the Smarts and Boobaday are completed, Martin takes a polygraph and uh, he passes and the DOJ investigators decide that none of them are involved with the murders. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Marilyn is interviewed again at a later date. She admits that early that morning of April 12th, she saw Martin burning something in the fireplace. She also claimed that she had found a bloody jacket belonging to Tina in her basement and had turned it into the police, although no official report of this exists. Now, when the local sheriff's department hears that the two DOJ investigators conduct these interviews and basically say they're not, they're not guilty or they're, we're done with them, they're right. fine, they didn't do it, they're fucking livid, like... They're like, what? Like, are you fucking crazy? They accuse uh, the two investigators of being sloppy and failing to fact check or look for clarification for these things. Like, they basically just take their word for it. Like, based on the polygraph test, like... That is... Yeah. Absurd. It's absurd. So, some of the sort of things that... Discrepancies that they just, like, look over include, um, like... Boobaday told the police at some point that he worked as a Chicago police officer for 18 years and had retired after being shot in the line of duty. It was an obvious lie that they easily could have checked based on his age and like just call the police and they didn't even do it. And it was a fucking lie. He also lied about how long he had been living in Caddy, which um, he added like two weeks to the time, but it was just like this like nonstop you know, barrage of lies for, for what he also said that, um, Marilyn was awake when he and smart came home after their second trip to the bar, but she obviously had a different opinion. She said she was asleep and didn't remember them coming home. He claimed that Marilyn was his niece, which was also a lie. That's obviously easily provable. So it's just like all of these fucking lies. Now he also claims that Boobaday claims that he never met Sue Sharp, but we know that they had stopped at their house on the way to the bar uh, the first time around and invited her to come with them. And she said no. Yeah. So it's just like all of these things just showed sort of like no lack 
or like no curiosity to actually finding out what fucking happened. They just got an answer and moved right the fuck on, like without any follow up questions or saying, well, Marilyn said this. Why is your story different? Like classic interrogation moves, I'm guessing, right? Another interesting thing in the interview with Marty Smart is he's talking about his stepson, Justin's like experience at the home. And during that sort of where he's relaying Justin's story, what happened the night of the murders, he adds, and this is quotes, without me detecting him at the end of one of the sentences, saying that Justin saw something without me detecting him. And the cops just let that slide. Oh my God. But that's like a pretty obvious like fuck up, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not even an expert and I know. <laughs> um, he also tells the investigators um, that he had recently lost his own hammer, like just FYI. So he's like kind of setting up these weird excuses for things that might come up. So there's no more follow-up interviews with Smart or Bubaday. The investigators believe that they had no involvement in the murders and they basically just let them go. Um, once he was no longer a prime suspect, he moved to uh, Klamath, California, which is, I don't know where. Bubaday returns to Chicago, and at some point in Chicago, he scams several police officers out of money, gets caught, and he almost is about to get sent to prison, and he dies before... Bubaday? Yeah, Bubaday, and that's in 1988, so it's jumping ahead a bit. Now, the Plumas County uh, Sheriff that I mentioned earlier, Doug Thomas, he presided over the case at the initial phases before the DOG, DOJ are brought in. He later says that um, Martin seemed to provide endless clues in the case and throw suspicion away from him constantly for no reason. Like I kind of saying the hammer thing, I lost it, all that kind of stuff. And things basically go cold at that point. Nothing happens. There's no suspects and there's no, uh, you know, there's no DNA or anything at this time. Like we right. mentioned this before in other cases. That's kind of why polygraphs are still being used. Like at that's like point. their only way to get anything. But yeah, those are obviously uh, flawed and not really admissible. Okay, so jump ahead to 1984. A guy's going uh, hiking. He's like a someone collecting bottles. Like he's one of those people who have like the metal detector looking for bottles and and stuff like that. He finds the cranium part of a skull about 30 miles outside of Ketty. Now he calls the police, and no one thinks that it might be Tina's bones or remains. Several months later, an anonymous caller calls the Butte County Sheriff's office and says to them the skull belonged to Tina Sharp. Now, at that point, they go back to the area and do another search, and a jawbone and several other bones are found. They also find a child's blanket, a blue nylon jacket, a pair of jeans uh, with a missing back pocket, and an empty surgical tape dispenser. They test the bones, or the I guess they do the teeth on the jawbone, and confirm that that is Tina Sharp's remains. Wow. So the sheriff's uh, office have this um, tape, that the call that was made saying that's Tina's uh, remains. I mean, obviously the discovery of Tina's remains makes everything more mysterious. Like, what the fuck? Why was... Why was she taken away from cabin 28 to begin with? Like, why was she taken and killed somewhere else? And who knows how long after? Like, right. was it a day after? Was it like, why was she taken? Because right. if, like, if she was a witness, they could have just killed her there. Like, there was no reason right. to necessarily take her away. The other thing that's co- sort of confounding is obviously there's so much physical evidence here, but there was just no way to test any of it back right. in that time because there's tons of blood and, um, all of that kind of stuff, but there was just nothing that could be done about it. A lot of people at this point start speculating um, about the substandard police investigation, and that kind of stuff always leads to people thinking that a police cover-up happened right. and that kind of stuff. So a lot of conspiracy theories um, start happening here. One of the conspiracy theories that's sort of a big one online is that Bo and Marty were somehow witnesses in a bigger federal case with drug dealers or something or the mafia and they were being protected in this crime if if they were the ones who did it. So that's sort of a big one that's going on. But there's no evidence of any of that. Yeah. It's just people speculating on Reddit, basically. Martin Smart dies in 2000 of cancer and not long after his death, his therapist, the one he went to at the VA back in the day, tells the Plumas County Sheriff's Office that Smart had confessed to him that he killed Sue Sharp because she was trying to get Marilyn to leave him. He said, he, the therapist said that he never mentioned who killed John, Dana, or Tina. 
He also told the therapist that it was easy to beat the polygraph and that he and the Plumas County Sheriff, Doug Thomas, were friends. In fact, that one time Thomas had even moved in with him temporarily. Gross. So in 2004, a documentary called... I'm sorry. In 2004, Cabin 28 was demolished along with a lot of other buildings that had been condemned in this resort area. I mean, I'm sure it had just fucking fallen apart. As I said before, 66 people live in that town now. And that was in 2010, actually. So it could be even less now. That also led people who were sort of conspiracy theorists to be like, what the fuck? Like, this is like mob or drug dealer related. And they're trying to get rid of the last evidence. And the police are also trying to get rid of anything that they did fucked up things in the investigation. So, but obviously, it's also very possible that those buildings were run down pieces of shit, which I don't doubt. In 2008, a documentary called Cabin 28 was released on the murders. And in that documentary, Marilyn Smart claims that she had always suspected Martin and his friend Bo Bobaday uh, had been responsible for the murders of all four of the victims. In November 2016, uh, there was a true crime show, I guess, called People Magazine Investigates. Yeah, I've Do watched you know that it, one. Yeah. Okay. They have an episode dedicated to this Ketty Cabin murders and several new pieces of information were sort of, you know, talked about in that show. Um, The case had been reopened, by the way, in 2013. Now, sort of expanding on the theory that he said to his therapist where um, he was mad at Sue for her convincing him or convincing his wife to leave him, yeah. which I don't doubt happened. Right, Because sure I've been happened. around that situation a lot, <laughs> right? Like back right. in the day. Um, but it was mostly people convincing my mom. <laughs> right. Um, so she thinks that his anger towards Sue for interfering in, his ma- in the marriage was really what drove him to kill. After the murders, another piece of evidence that we found was a letter that he had written to his wife, Marilyn, which was only discovered once the case was reopened in 2013. In this letter, he says, I've paid the price of your love. And now that I've bought it with four people's lives, you tell me we're through. Great. What else do you want? (gasps) Whoa. Yeah. Pretty fucked up. Now she hadn't even, she claims that she never saw this letter, but like until they released it into evidence in 2013. She did look at the letter when they had that evidence. They found that evidence and she did confirm it was his handwriting. Another piece of evidence that they found was a hammer that was discovered by a man, once again, with a metal detector. And he found it in a pond that was near the cabins that matched the descriptions of the one that Marty said that he had misplaced. Um, that I saw in one article that it was being tested for DNA, DNA evidence. I was going to ask. But I never saw any follow-up. So I don't know... It's possible they tested it, but they don't have anyone to match it to. Do you know what I mean? Like, like they don't have his DNA in the database? Right. Or any other suspects. But although I'll get to something a little bit later. Um, now, the other thing is that 911 recording that I mentioned. That's also found in this case file box. Like they have all of this evidence still. Like that's what's sort of crazy with these old cold cases. That all this evidence is just in some box in some like dank, right. danky like basement of a police station just sitting there um and we have no money or whatever to like test stuff yeah um so like i mentioned that call before um about the person saying that they that was tina's like that was someone who called and said it was tina's remains before it was identified so they clearly had some kind of inside knowledge right and that call was never like looked into it all. Like they never was like, does this sound like Marty? Does this sound like Bo, Bobaday, or <laughs> whatever? Like right. no one ever looked into who that person was who made that fucking phone call. So it was, this was the hiker that discovered that made the phone call? No, no. The hiker found the bones. Right. They didn't test them for Tina. And then months later, someone, someone was like, said, hey, right. that's Tina's bones. Right. Okay. Like, cause the police are so dense. They weren't ever thinking like, oh, is this a missing person? Is this Tina who we've been looking for all these I'm years? I'm so like, irritated. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, so now they're kind of like, that's pretty chilling. They knew it was her before they called. It's oh, like, really? yeah, you didn't know that 30 years ago? Like these yeah. dumbass cops. So now the guy who's sort of in charge of this is special investigator named Mike Gamberg, and he's for Plumas County. Um, 
He says that they did get some DNA evidence off of a piece of tape that was at the crime scene, the the Ketty Cabin crime scene, and that does match a known living suspect. But I couldn't find any information of who that suspect is, and, and maybe it's something where they can't say anything until they've arrested him yeah. or something. So I think whoever they're thinking of, there's some match there. Now, a lot of speculation is... Um, if those two guys did it, there might have been other people there that night or helping cover up the crime. So it might not be necessarily the person who murdered them, but it could be someone who helped cover up or did something with Tina and stuff right. after the fact. So that could be what it was. Um, so yeah, like all of this stuff just kind of nothing happened with it. Like, so this guy's still going through this evidence. And then I'm just going to go into some other theories that I saw people speculating. Now, it's sort of a twist on the um, leave your husband one. Some people think that there was a love triangle between Martin, Marilyn, and Sue, and that Sue was sort of counseling Marilyn to leave the guy that she wanted to be with. But I don't really buy that because Sue kind of seems smart. I just don't buy that she would get into some kind of bullshit triangle with a loser like Marty Smart. <laughs> I don't know why I think that, but I don't know. I just don't buy it. Like, yeah. it seems weird to me. I guess it's possible. There, I guess the theory is then that when Mark discovered that Sue was trying to think, he enlisted his, his friend Bo to kill them uh, and take Sue out of the picture to stop it. And then it kind of went haywire. But basically, the people who are investigating now, they all think that the initial police investigators fucked up Mega. Like, So they're all kind of trying to be polite about it. But we all know that they fucking think they sucked. Um, (laughs) Because they're trying to all be like, well, like, da-da-da-da. It's like, no, no, you know they fucked up, but you're not going to say it because whatever. Now, there was like... Like I mentioned before, there was like Martin was a drug dealer and Bo did have connections to the Chicago crime syndicate. So there is always that possibility that there's something there. Um, And like the guy who's investigating it now, he, the interesting thing about the other guy, his name is like, I can't remember his first name. His name is Hagwood. He was a teen in Keddie at the same age as John. And now he's investigating the murder. Uh, and he he definitely buys into the theory that there was more people helping them cover it up after the fact. Yeah. Um, the other people, the other thing that people speculate is like, who was the target? Was it Sue from this love triangle, or at the very least, trying to get Marilyn to leave him? Um, there was some people speculating that Bo had been like, "Hey, who's Sue?" <laughs> like that he had an interest in her. So was there like a sexual assault element for him that he wanted to get her? She was not. No one knew if she was raped. There was no, like, rape evidence. Um, some people also think, like, why would Marty do it if his he knew his stepson was there that night? Like, why would he risk being uh, identified by his stepson or even do something that horrible in front of him? But if he has anger issues and he's drunk, right? Like, I mean... I, I'm not putting anything past Marty Smart. Yeah, he's awful. Uh and people are like, oh, he could have killed Sue alone. But it's like, I just don't think he cared. Like, there's also speculation that he did try to kill Sue alone and the boys showed up and, and tried that's to when fight it, him that's off. when it turned into the bigger deal. That's kind of my theory is that he was trying to kill Sue and the two teenage boys tried to fight him off. Right. Like, I could picture those two guys going to the bar, coming back and being like, hey, bitch, you're too good to go out for a drink with us. Like, totally. And going off on her, the two boys show up. And then it turns into something that maybe they weren't even planning on right. happening. And some people also speculate if the boys got a ride home with a hitchhiker who was like then, but I don't know, that seems like a stretch. Um, some people want to speculate that Tina was the reason for the attack and that's why they took her. Uh, someone had, I don't know if they had evidence of it, that Bo liked young girls. There was even um, some speculation that Tina was pregnant by Marty and that he wanted to, but all of this stuff, it just seems like a little too, uh, whatever, Melrose Place. <laughs> like, I feel like the obvious answer seems to be that Marty and Bo were drunk, fucking rageaholic assholes yeah. and something went too fucking far. The crime here, almost other than the crime, is that the police clearly let these suspects off the hook when it seems quite clear to me that they at least knew what happened or are probably responsible for it. And we see this all the time in cases that we cover. Right. So, yeah, that's basically it. It, It's still a cold case. It's still being investigated. So I'll keep my eye open for it and see if anything happens and we could post it on our Facebook or talk about it 
uh, on, an, on a show sometime. Now, let's get into the movie, The Strangers. So basically, well, you've, you've seen it. Yeah. So it's basically a couple going into like a cabin in the woods. It's like, like a, a little really, vacation home. It's like a definitely like a glam cabin. Yeah. Like it's not just like a little like They're rustic. having like a little romantic. Yeah. yeah. Like this place is like a nice ass I did see place. some pictures and then some guys with like hoods on, white hoods. Sort it's of. like a, it's like, they're basically, it's like, it's a home invasion horror movie. It's really stressful to watch. It sounds it's scary. It's really fucking stressful, but it's good. I like it. It's brutal. And uh, the it's like, I know one of the home invaders is this model that I really used to like, Gemma Ward. I don't know who the other two are, but it's like, I think it's two girls and a guy oh. and they're wearing like white masks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I saw some of the white masks And pictures. they don't really talk. So they're just terrorizing them. They're just terrorizing them the whole night. Oh God. And it's that sounds really awful. stressful, Desi, but it's a good movie. <laughs> That's like the type of horror movie that does me in. Yeah. Like, no, I it's can't. scary. It's yeah. scary because it's really stressful. Okay. But I would, I recommend it. It's like, I mean, I think The Stranger's it's become like a classic at this oh, point. Oh, it has. Yeah, I would say. I think that uh, that's my, that's the type of movie that scares me the most, like very realistic. Home invasion ones? Well, not just home invasion, but ones that are very realistic without a supernatural element to them yeah. where it's like real people hurting right. each other. Right, right. <laughs> like, cause that's like, that could happen. Right. Like you could get, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's so, it it's sounds so stressful. Scary. I'm getting a stomach ache just thinking about it. Um, so yeah, that's the Ketty Cabin Murders. Wow. I mean, I knew about the case, but I didn't know the details of it. And I definitely, my opinion is that I think Marty Smart and Bo Boobity. Bobity. Bobity. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say it that way though. So I hopefully like it. it's Bo cute. Boobity. Don't correct me. Uh, he, um, yeah, you have, we'll post pictures cause the pictures are just very, of that period. Okay, good. So I think they're okay, interesting. Good. Well, it's very sad that, um, you know, this... By the way, that Sheila, Sheila, the daughter, she's like, I saw some pictures of her with the investigator. Yeah. Uh, so she's like involved in this case still. Oh, wow. Too. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I was like, who is that woman? I was like, Sheila! Like, it was like, yeah. I was happy to see her. Like, Sheila's one of the neighbors. No, Sheila's the, the daughter who found them, the oldest daughter who oh, the walked oldest in. Daughter. So okay, she's still yeah. like involved in the case too, like wow. trying to make sure it's solved. Uh, so yeah. So go to our Facebook page. You can join there. Yeah. If you want. Go to Instagram. Instagram. We'll post pictures. We always post lots of pictures. The best way to get a hold of us is through our email at hollywoodcrimescene at gmail.com. Yeah. So that's that. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.